Welcome back to another episode of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. This week, we continue to mine my uh, Patreon account and some of the uh, short bits I've been writing there throughout this last fall of 2020. And uh, I've put another couple of them together that kind of build around Nebraska's centennial in 1967, more or less. Uh, and, And those are the stories that I'll be telling today. The baby boom of the post-World War II era led to a lot of changes in Nebraska high school athletics. First of all, it's difficult uh, to even open a newspaper from about 1956 through at least the middle of the next decade without finding a story about a new high school bond issue being floated, uh, a new school building being built, or a totally new school opening, either through district expansion or consolidation. No year is a better example of this than 1967. And because it was also Nebraska's statehood centennial, we see the mark of that year still. Every time we look at a list of scores, two consolidations and one new conference from that era bear the note of that centennial celebration in their names to this day. First, let's start just east of Lincoln, where the Utica Tigers... Beaver Crossing Beavers and Waco Warriors consolidated in 67 to form a new high school in Utica, and it was named Centennial to honor the state's big year. But they weren't the only ones. In central Nebraska, three small districts there became one when Caro, Bolus, and Danabrog joined together in a consolidation. With the building opening during the state's centennial, it was a no-brainer that the name of that school should be Centura. Here they went a step further than Centennial, uh, which chose Broncos as its mascot. Uh, Centura took the name Centurions, which led to some really long script names on basketball uniforms uh, that you can see in some old pictures. That, That might be the most letters in a Nebraska nickname ever. As these two schools with similar names, started their histories, and one of the first things they had to do for the fall of uh, 1967 uh, was to build a first-year football schedule. I suppose it seemed only natural to school leaders, despite the nearly 90-mile distance between the new facilities, for the Broncos and Centurions to open their inaugural seasons against one another. Uh, it may have been natural, but it didn't produce beautiful football. The two played to a 0-0 zero to zero tie. It's a shame that they didn't honor their shared Latin root word by locking up 100 to 100 instead. Um, The two didn't renew the rivalry in 1968, and I don't believe they have ever met on the football field since. So we have these two schools named for the Nebraska Centennial playing just once in the autumn of that centennial. Both of these schools Uh, were also consolidations that had to make a jump where they had several schools playing eight-man football combined into one 11-man squad. And that was was another issue of the era that went on uh, quite a bit. You know, as coaches had to combine not only schools, uh, but teach the boys a new style of football. But schools weren't the only new organizations of that era to take their name from the celebration of Nebraska's first 100 years. 
a widespread Class B and C conference that still competes today, started in that same time period and took the name Nebraska Centennial Conference. The league actually got a jump on the state's celebration and started competition in the 1965-66 school year. They had an inaugural eight-team lineup. David City Aquinas, Fremont Bergen, Omaha Cathedral, Omaha Holy Name, Omaha St. Joseph's, Wahoo Newman, Columbus Scotus, and West Point Central Catholic. That's an example of how the state was moving to more geographically spread conferences in that era. Of course, the Class A Nebraska Big Ten had stretched from Scotts Bluff to Fremont since 1945. But in the uh, late 40s and into the 50s and early 60s, uh, even Class B and some Class C schools started getting into the act. Uh, one that I think of right away is from 1949 to 1958, the aptly named Trans-Nebraska Conference had a southern division in Crete, Superior, Sutton, Geneva, and Minden, and a northern division in Broken Bow, Burwell, Loop City, Ord, and Ravenna, which led especially in the uh, football and basketball playoff games to uh, some, big, some big traveling, especially in that era. The Nebraska Centennial Conference was kind of part of that movement, and it stretched from Omaha to David City and Columbus. The thing is, it could have been bigger, but then it might have needed another name, and that name might not have been as flexible for the future. The Centennial Conference, made up of all those Catholic parochial schools, had been preceded by another organization that used a name that might have been perfect for the Centennial, the Nebraska Catholic Conference. But that name was already taken by a four-team league that had started in 1961 and included two original Centennial members, Aquinas and Scotus, and then two further Western Catholic schools, Hastings St. Cecilia and Grand Island Central Catholic. That league coexisted with the Centennial. Uh, the Nebraska Catholic Conference lasted until 1976, though they stopped football competition in 1968. And St. Cecilia and GICC would eventually join the Centennial, but that's not until the mid-1990s. The formation of the Centennial League uh, allowed these mid-sized mid parochial schools to have a wider role in Nebraska athletics. Before the Centennial, they'd been playing in mostly smaller regional leagues with public schools. Bergen uh, was playing in the Husker 8, which eventually became the Husker 12. They may even have stopped at the Husker 10 at one point, and included schools like Valparaiso, Soresco, Meade, Millard, and Elkhorn. Wahoo Newman, then called just Wahoo Catholic, also spent some time in the Husker 12. The, the three Omaha schools that started the Centennial had, a, had long had a small maybe kind of informal league with each other and other small Omaha schools. And schools like Scotus, Aquinas, and West Point Central Catholic had never really found any kind of long-term conference home, at least to my knowledge, before this era. The existence of the Centennial plays a role in the ascendance of these private schools in NSAA competition. Obviously, in the last 20 years, the original Centennial group, at least those that have survived, and those that have joined since, have taken home a bumper crop of championship trophies. I, I wouldn't even want to do the count. Uh, you know those schools have had a lot of success at the state level. 
The Centennial has given those schools a conference home while allowing them to reside inside the NSAA system. Now, we take that for granted in Nebraska, but that's not uniform across the United States. In many states, private and public schools have separate state associations and championships. It's always been said that Nebraska's small number of schools, especially private schools, would make that difficult. So they have to find a way to live together. Besides the Centennial being a great name to honor the state's birthday, the fact that it wasn't named the Nebraska Catholic Conference was good for its growth. It gave it some flexibility and allowed some schools to join that might not have fit that first name. Boys Town was the first school to join when they downsized and left the Metro, joining the Centennial in 1977. Though Boys Town certainly has Catholic roots, they consider themselves a non-denominational mission. At the same time, a more traditional Catholic school joined, uh, just not one from Nebraska. Council Bluff St. Albert was in the league until Iowa reorganizations required them to leave in 2013. In 1983, the short-lived Boys Town Associated Omaha Flanagan School joined the league. That school closed in 1996. Because of its size, West Point Central Catholic left the conference in 1979. The original Omaha schools all closed during a turbulent seven-year span. Holy Name closed in 1988. St. Joseph, known as the Joe Hawks, became Paul VI and just the Hawks in 1968, and then merged with Omaha Ryan to become St. Joseph again in 1983, but this time they were called the Chargers, and then that school closed for good in 1989. Omaha Cathedral closed in 1994. In 1980, the Catholic girls' school Omaha Mercy joined the Centennial. They left 15 years later in 1995, about when Omaha Roncalli, which had joined the league in 1990, also exited. Those two schools became involved in the River City Conference. That conference, with this year's withdrawal of Ralston and Beatrice, has now has the distinct feel of a Class B Catholic conference, with only South Sioux City remaining as a public school. Elkhorn Mount Michael is also a River Cities team after spending 1999 to 2013 in the Centennial. Another Protestant school spent 1994 to 2000 in the Centennial, Omaha Central Christian. They were still in the league when big changes came to the loop, and those other two Nebraska Catholic Conference schools expanded the league's footprint. St. Cecilia and Grand Island Central Catholic came aboard in 1996. By 1999, two more Protestant schools, Lincoln Christian and Lincoln Lutheran, were in the fold, and another, Omaha Concordia, joined in 2010. The final piece of the modern Centennial Conference was added in 2018, when Kearney Catholic jumped from the Lou Platt. Okay, they were pushed. Uh, from the Lou Platt to the Centennial. The names of the two consolidated schools and this powerful conference carry on our remembrance of the celebration of Nebraska's first 100 years, even now, when the state has already aged past 150. As I said, the stories uh, in this episode and in the last episode, and I have at least one more of these to come, were all developed on my Patreon account this fall. Uh, I started that in August. Uh, what it is is an opportunity for people who kind of want to support this project. Uh, there are some costs uh, related uh, with this project. My access to the newspaper archives costs me money. Uh, the server where I keep the podcasts, 
uh, cost me money. Uh, there's some other incidental things uh, each month I have to pay. And then uh, there's the field trips I like to go on for shooting up varsity where I uh, go to uh, check out trophy cases uh, far and near. Uh, those things all cost a little money. And of course, this is a labor of love for me. But I wanted to give people a chance to be involved in the project and maybe support it in a small way. My Patreon at patreon.com slash studingupvarsity uh, gives people just a chance to do that. Uh, there are three levels. Uh, we try to uh, offer some little perks with each one. Um, there's the $1 a month, uh, um, which gives uh, them access to the pictures I post there. It's kind of like an extended uh, Twitter feed. And then once in a while, some other posts uh, go to that level. And it really just gives people a chance to say, hey, I'm, I'm helping out. Uh, the project, but it also uh, makes them eligible for some of the special things we do, like we did a tri trivia night um, this last fall. We hope that that's something that grows, especially when we can do things like that live instead of over a Zoom call. Uh, there's the $5 uh, level a month, which has been very popular, which gives people access uh, to our nicknames database um, and our conference timeline database. Uh, some of the things we've been building over the years as we've done this project. Uh, and then there's the $25 a month, uh, which can be just a one-time thing. Uh, the $25 a month uh, gives you access to everything we have on whatever school you choose. Basically a preview of, uh, of what we're building to go in an eventual Nebraska High School Sports History book uh, about your high school. So that would be everything from all the track medalists all the football and basketball, uh, all staters, um, all the state championships and all the conference championships we know about at your school. Basically, I just cull all our databases for a certain school and, uh, and send it your way. And then, uh, as long as you maintain uh, uh, a membership in the Patreon, even at a lower level, uh, you get any updates when I find new things about your school. I hope you'll just take a look uh, it's not for everybody, uh, but I know some people uh, feel passionate about preserving the history of Nebraska high school athletics like I do, uh, and they, and they want to be able to help in some way, and the Patreon uh, gives them a chance to do that in a monetary way. That's at patreon.com slash suitingupvarsity. The second story this week, uh, I guess, connects a little bit to the first in that it's about one of the schools involved in the Centennial Conference, and that is a, a deep dive I did uh, into the beginnings of Columbus SCOTUS football. And I, I think it also gives you a little insight uh, into my research techniques. I'm not sure the word technique is quite right there. But here's what happened. Earlier this fall, a Twitter follower from Hamilton County sent me a link to an auction site uh, that was showing some beautiful 1940s and 1950s Aurora High School schedule posters. Just, you know, beautiful 50s art. Uh, my first instinct, of course, was to plan to attend that auction. Uh, which the virus kept me away from. But my second was to register surprise at the Huskies' schedule from 1948 showed their home opener was against St. Bonaventure of Columbus, the school that would eventually become Columbus SCOTUS. Now, not that a shamrock trip to Aurora seems out of place regionally or competitively. St. Bonaventure is a school that would consolidate with other regional parish schools and become Columbus Scotus in 1965, and Columbus is certainly close enough to Aurora for a game. But I was surprised to see a parochial school in 1948 playing 11-man football. 
In the 1940s and early 50s, it always seems to me that other than Creighton Prep in Omaha, Catholic schools were all playing six-man football. Uh, I thought, okay, did I make an assumption? Uh, so I jumped quick into my top 10 uh, ratings database, um, which, of course, is another thing that our $25 Patreon members uh, get would be a list of all the times your school has been in the uh, football top 10 rankings in the newspapers, at least all of them that we've dug up so far, and we have a bunch. I jumped into my top 10 ratings database quickly and saw that, yes, Lincoln Cathedral, the school that would become Pius X uh, in 1956, was still playing six-man football in 1951. Obviously, St. Bonaventure had to have made the jump earlier if they were playing Aurora in 48. So I asked myself, how much earlier? And that led me to another question. When did, when did St. Bonaventure start playing football at all? Questions like this are good research material uh, because they get my curiosity going. They make me want to dive in. They, they give me an answer to hunt for. But most of all, because looking at one particular school can help me understand the bigger picture of that era, can help me uh, contextualize, I guess you would say, uh, what was going on in that era and in that area. And so in I dove. I found out that St. Bonaventure School uh, opened in 1925 when the Columbus Parish took over the St. Francis Academy, which had been run in Columbus since the, 19, excuse me, the 1880s uh, by an order of nuns. Uh, I found St. Bonaventure basketball games start popping up in the early 1930s. So that was really when they got into the interscholastic athletics arena. Uh, my favorite of the basketball games I found in the 30s was a series of season-opening scrimmages uh, that they played in conjunction with Kramer High School. Now, remember, Kramer High School is what Columbus High called itself when it was in a certain building uh, in, uh, in Columbus. I, I think the building that was for years the Columbus Junior High slash Middle School, but Columbus people can, uh, can correct me on that. They called themselves Kramer High School. Uh, but St. Bonaventure was playing opening season scrimmages, kind of like now we have the Hall of Fame scrimmages. These were also played uh, for fundraising purposes. St. Bonnie would often play the Kramer Reserves uh, in the opening game before the Kramer Varsity played its alumni. <laughs> and the Columbus alumni, of course, would be uh, built around the famous Brock Brothers uh, of Columbus, uh, uh, the most famous of which Charlie um, was a college football player in the 30s, who uh, received some All-American mention, ends up playing in the uh, NFL and maybe a little Major League Baseball, too. I'm kind of kind of not checking my notes here. But uh, the Brock brothers are to Columbus what, of course, to me and Hastings, the Hop brothers always were. But St. Bonnie would play the uh, Kramer Reserves in that opener. These games were a fundraiser for the Columbus Telegraph newspaper's Shoe Fund. Now, I never found an explanation for the shoe fund, but I assume it was to help buy shoes for the needy during the Great Depression. Uh, in 1937, the game raised $78.06 for the cause. But I didn't see any football games for St. Bonaventure. So I started looking at my top 10 ratings list again, and I found the Shamrocks, or the Irish, as they were interchangeably called in the papers of that era, in 1943 in the six-man ratings at number 8. Now, then I double-checked Stu Pospisil's great list of unbeaten, untied teams, and I saw the 1943 rocks there. 
Evidently, that 1943 schedule didn't impress Greg McBride enough that even an undefeated season didn't get them higher than number eight. I also noticed that in 1951, remember when Lincoln Cathedral was topping the six-man ratings, the Irish were number eight again, but this time in Class B 11-man. So that fits with the schedule poster. They've obviously made the jump earlier than Lincoln Cathedral and, honestly, lots of other Catholic schools around the state. Uh, St. Bonaventure uh, had made that jump earlier, so when did they make the jump? And again, when did they start football? Uh, and when did they add the extra five guys to go 11-man? So I started working my way backward. Uh, I found six-man Shamrock football in 1942 and some pretty interesting stories that offer a window into that era. Um, the Shamrocks opened the 42 season with a trip to David City, but not to play the scouts of David City High or the St. Mary's Knights, a school that would follow a similar historic pattern as St. Bonaventure when they consolidated with area parochial schools to become Aquinas Catholic. The opening game that year in 1942 was with a team from north of David City, one of the schools that would join with St. Mary's to form Aquinas in 61, Bellwood Marietta. The Shamrocks won the game 13-7. But the week before the game, I found a Columbus Telegram article that previewed the game but called the opponents by a different name. They said St. Bonaventure was going to travel to play Luxembourg. Now that's a new one to me. Ever so often I run across a town that I haven't heard of, um, so I Google something like Luxembourg, Nebraska map. But that turned up nothing. So I dropped the word map for my search, and that led me to a 2002 telegram story about the area south of the Platte River between Columbus and David City and its history as a place that saw the settlement of a large group from the tiny European country of Luxembourg. The article said that the numbers of those settlers and the similarity of the river valley there to the land of Luxembourg led some to refer to the area by that name. Who knew? Not me. But from now on, I'll always think of that little school as Bellwood Marietta of Luxembourg from now on. St. Bonaventure uh, was 3-0 in 1942 after a couple of home wins over Lee and Grand Island St. Mary's, eventually Grand Island Central Catholic. Uh, but they ran into state power St. Edward. The Beavers were led by all-stater Cletus Fisher, who would go on to fame as a longtime Cornhusker football coach. Fisher and St. Ed crushed them, 52-12, and the Bonnies lost their starting fullback for the season with a broken leg. They got back on track with a home win over Shelby. Uh, the Huskies were in their first ever year of football, according to the papers. The Shamrocks were to hit the road again the next Wednesday. It was late October by then, and this game had originally been scheduled in Palmer for a Wednesday night with the idea that this would be Teachers' Convention Week, when the state schools shut down for a long weekend. But the convention fell on the next week instead, and St. Bonaventure then contacted Palmer about shifting the game to another day. But that didn't work out for Palmer for some reason. The Columbus School then requested a Wednesday afternoon game so that the team could return home at an earlier hour. With wartime speed restrictions, top speed on the highways was 35 miles per hour. It was estimated that the Irish wouldn't get home from Palmer until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. That's tough timing on a school night. When Palmer turned down the afternoon kickoff request, St. Bonaventure canceled the game, leaving them 4-1. and one. 
The Shamrocks then hosted Lee for the second time in that season. They had beaten the Panthers 41-12 in the first contest, and this time, remember, St. Bonnie's starting fullback is now out for the year. Uh, it was closer, but still a win, 36-22. St. Bonaventure would host a couple of unbeaten teams in the next two weeks, the Gresham Blackbirds and the Omaha St. Joseph's Johawks. They were more competitive than they had been against St. Edward's, Edward, but they still lost to both. Gresham left town with a 39-18 win, and the Johawks won 32-30. That left the season finale, a home Armistice Day contest with the Platt Center Explorers. Platt Center took a 12-0 win, but the newspapers noted that St. Bonaventure played the Explorers tougher than they had last year in their first year of football. So there it is, my first clue that St. Bonaventure started football in 1941. So, St. Bonaventure had gone 6-3 in 1942 while playing 8 of 9 games at home. And I had my answer for the start of Samrock football. By the way, it doesn't surprise me that St. Bonaventure was able to schedule so many home games since they were already playing at Pawnee Park. I'm not sure when that stadium dates back to, but obviously that facility was better than most others at the time, and a lot of schools were probably willing to drive into Columbus to play. So, I started digging in 1941 to double-check that as the birth year of Shamrock football and was able to confirm it pretty quickly. A September 28, 1941 home win over York St. Ursula by a 19-6 score was the first game in St. Bonaventure school history. St. Ursula would close after that school year and later be, be reborn as York St. Joseph, uh, but they don't seem to have continued football. That's probably the uh, scheduling issue that led the Bonnies to Luxembourg the next season for the opener. The next week uh, was Game 2 for the Irish, and it was a rematch with St. Ursula, this time in York, for St. Bonaventure's first-ever road game. This time, fortunes were reversed, with Ursula winning and breaking a two-year losing streak for the York team. That was a signal that this year might be rocky for the new St. Bonaventure team. But that didn't show the next week when the Rocks traveled to Grand Island and beat St. Mary 16-6. They even got some big city ratings mentioned at 2-1, and one, though I'm not sure the Lincoln paper was really aware of that second loss, second game loss to St. Ursula. Uh, after that, the season was tough. They would lose five straight to finish 2-6. and St. Edward would handle them 45-16. Uh, St. Bonaventure was crushed 54-14 at Platt Center. They lost at home to Palmer, 44-24. A Halloween snowstorm delayed the next game, a home contest with Lee, until Tuesday, November 4. The Irish led late, but a 50-yard scoring pass with 30 seconds left gave Lee the 25-20 win. The finale, as it would be again in 1942, was Platt Center on Armistice Day at Pawnee Park. The Explorers won in a walk, 64-28. Of course, we know that the young program, born just a couple months before America's entry into World War II, would progress quickly and be undefeated in a state power before World War II was even near its end. My last question, though, was still out there. When did they switch to 11-man? That was, after all, the first question that kind of got me going. That answer dropped in my Twitter feed before I could even load any more new old newspapers. The school account, at SCOTUSCC, posted a picture of the school newspaper from October 1946, which reported the Shamrock shift to 11-man football that fall. 
Quick and deep dives like this are an important part of my research process because they offer more than just the specific answers I find. They help me develop a view into the overall context of high school sports in Nebraska in specific eras and in specific geographic areas. Does anyone have an idea for my next mini project? Have a question or an area you'd like to examine? Let me know what you can do uh, through my Twitter feed at sudevarsity.com and also I do give kind of special consideration to people who are patrons at patreon.com slash varsity and have a question they want answered. Uh, I will certainly uh, go digging for them. Outside inspiration always helps me keep my research varied and fresh. That's it. Until next time on Suiting Up Varsity. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Varsity. You can join up to help us at patreon.com slash suitinguparsity. We sure hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you find your podcasts. It helps others find our show. Or share one of our episodes on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, on your Insta account. Help other Nebraska sports fans find our podcast. It sure, it sure helps uh, word of mouth. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, episode 39, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by Tate Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2020.